street cause you're in danger 100,000 just sparrows Lost in the jails in South America Hi, welcome. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Lorraine and Alex Sokolov. Oh gosh, I almost said your name. That's okay. And here you are. Say my name. Is that like a? That's a, Breaking Bad. No, I thought that that was like a Destiny's Child song. Oh yeah. Well, remember, my name is Fame. That's like when we were in high school. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're coming to you from the Bridgehampton Inn, and you're listening to us on 88.3 WPPB-FM, Long Island's only NPR station. You can also listen to us online at 883WPPB.org. So, Sock, what's uh, what's our lead? And we have a great guest this we have morning. A great guest. It took us a uh, long time to wrangle him here. Chief Steve Skrinecki of Southampton South Town. Yeah, Southampton uh, Town Police Chief is so here. So, really excited to have a chance to chat with him. Before he, he comes on, though, uh, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, yeah. whatever. Anybody celebrates solstice. Candlemas. What is Candlemas? It's a Wiccan thing. I think wow. that's what I'm going to do this year because it's just me and EJ. We're just going to light a bunch of candles and just, like, hold space. He doesn't know that yet. Now he does. All right. Um, and so, you know, just starting in, you know, I, I know we're a week away or so from uh, from Christmas, and I, I know this is a time of year that a lot of people get together for events and parties. And last year, uh, Chief uh, Skrinecki had asked that we say this. So I'll start with this. Is everybody be, be careful on the road. Uh, oh, yeah. Please uh, don't drink and drive. And uh, if you do have a drink and enjoy yourself, you know, there's an Uber, there's a cab, there's somebody else. You can get your car the next day. It's it's much better. But that's really not what we're, we're not going to be talking about. I mean, I'm glad no, you said that. No, but I want to talk about Christmas. I want to talk about Christmas. Because well, I want to talk about policing. No, but it's, it all goes together because here's the thing. And okay. I'm going to go here. This is a weird place to start. But here's the thing, right? Okay. Christmas up until about 1820 in America was a holiday, a seasonal holiday that was actually kind of, uh, you know, the Puritans outlawed it in Massachusetts in yeah. the 1600s. It was not considered what we, how we celebrate it. Well, you must have just read the article in The Independent that Tom McMorrow wrote. Because I, I New did not Year's actually, Day. I actually wrote a, a script about this, but okay. Well, maybe he stole from <laughs> your, you know, maybe he, he paid homage to your did, script. He, did he write about the Knickerbockers? No, he wrote about New Year's Day. It, this was actually more local. It was how uh, Christmas was celebrated in the in the okay. The no, East so End, so all right, which is just that New Year's w- far eclipsed Christmas. Christmas was still a day where people worked, but New Year's you took off. Right, and and where I was going is that you know in, in around eighteen twenty in New York City. The Christmas season was was really like Halloween for adults, with a lot of drinking and debauchery, and a lot of uh, uh, you know uh, breaking windows, and a lot of other things. And breaking wind. And and the uh, the Knickerbocker class, the ruling class, kind of sat down and said, "How do we handle this?" And kind of invented the Christmas we know, where they where they uh, talked about uh, making it a children's holiday, but also they 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 kind of really focused on, even though there were these myths before, the idea that there's a spirit Santa Claus that's watching you making sure you're not naughty or nice and and uh, initially Santa Claus was a little elf with a top hat and a long pipe and really kind of was representative of the Knickerbocker class but then it evolved and why I'm mentioning that (laughs) in this conversation is because it got me thinking about our need as a society and, and for me personally 
for a big superego, for this understanding of right and wrong, this understanding of how you live in of this world. Naughty and nice. Well, also, yeah, and the idea. He sees you when yeah, you're sleeping. Yeah, and, 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 and not that we're going to talk about, you know, get too deep in this with policing and stuff, but our, our relationship, my relationship to that concept, which is a guiding principle, even if I sometimes revolt against it, but I'm so happy to have it. And so Christmas kind of has that. We, we reward our better spirits. That's a good way of looking at it. I mean, everybody loves a Christmas carol because at the end, you know, Scrooge is redeemed. I mean, in, in, not in a religious way, but by just understanding that every single day is precious and that right. he hasn't missed anything and that he has a chance to... Um, but it took these these you know spirits coming to him and Marley and and all of that. But can I just add one thing? Because you just you know we go in many different directions on this show. But you mm -hmm. reminded me that I wrote a thing about Santa Claus for the East Hampton Star in I believe 1985, where I I proved that he was a boniker because the only place when Santa Claus was actually whatever his name was he was it was I, I think he was actually Cy Clostein. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then, and then they he made went, moved out to East Hampton and wanted to join Maidstone. Of and course, it had, but when it, but when it was like when the the Santa Claus, I'm not going to say myth because we might have some kitties. But when Santa Claus first came to the spirit, states, when his spirit first came to the states, it was a combination of Dutch and English. It was a combination of Father Christmas, which had been a, a British thing for for 400 years and was mm -hmm. way back to like Shakespeare's time, and the idea of the Dutch. I can't remember his name, Santa Claus. I guess. Yes, it was and he had these high boots so I was like well the only place where the Dutch and the English were in the 1600s was on the East End and those high boots were clearly waiters so he was oh, a boniker interesting. All right. so yeah I'll go there okay I'll go there. anyway but, I, but, I, but anyway so we're in the that. season yeah, we're talking I about hope everybody has a great Christmas season I hope yeah. everybody uh, again giving more than receiving is for me the best part of this this time of year and that also kind of does lead into service and, and people who live a life of service, like our guest, Chief Skrnicki. Yeah. And I'm very excited for this conversation. We've been really trying to get this one together for yeah, a long because, time. He's a busy dude. And But also has, is a blessed, a blessed person because yes. he has spent a life in service. And uh, that's to me, that's pretty cool. And it's so. kind of like a northern exposure thing. I mean, because he was like up. Up Island and running an enormous police force, and we want to talk a little. Fourth largest police force in America. Oh my right? God, like Nassau that's, County. That's that's just frightening to me. But but I mean, obviously something that he enjoys because here he is in like our little small town of Southampton. Right. Although it could be like that, like uh, when the you know the postman retires after twenty years and still wakes up every day and takes a twenty mile walk. It could, <laughs> could be a little bit like that. I actually have a friend, Elizabeth Fielding, up in Wilmot, New Hampshire, and that's what happened. She was the postwoman, and now she just walks everywhere, yeah. bikes everywhere. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll be with our guest, Chief Stephen Skrnecki, uh, the Southampton Town Police Chief, and you're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And we'll be right back. We're back Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokol. And we're going to bring our guest on, Chief Steve Skrnacki. Is it okay if I call you Steve? Yes. Is it okay can. if I call you Stevie, baby? No, I'm kidding. No, no. That's from that's from a, a, Mont, a Monty Python routine. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I really appreciate really, you Really, really, really appreciate Thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me. I know that your, your, your schedule is just crazy. 
But it's, what were you just saying? Like you had some insane Alex Sokolow well, fact well, that only Alec would have. No, uh, uh, Steve uh, mentioned how he used to surf and surf in Rockaways uh, in Queens. And um, I had read like a lot of things I find <laughs> uh, that Duke Kahanamoko, I think that, that's how you pronounce his name, the, the Hawaiian chief and surfing legend actually was surfing those waters around 1910, 1915. So there's actually, and, and a couple of years ago, there was what actually the pro surfing uh, tour did an event in, uh, in Queens, which was amazing. Where did you read that? In the Independent. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is always the right answer, but I don't uh, okay. believe you. Anyway, so, <laughs> welcome. Thanks welcome. for coming on. Well, thank you again for having me. It's a pleasure uh, to be here. How are you? I am great. Couldn't be better. Let's dive right in. I know my first question, which might be something that Bridget will also follow up on, is uh, did you grow up wanting to, to work in policing and, and be a policeman? Or when did that calling come? It's kind of a funny story because... That's what we like. <laughs> well, you were talking about surfing just a minute ago. And uh, I grew up in Nassau County, and, and I had a couple of surfing buddies. And one day, one of them says to me, I'm going to go take the police test. Why don't you come down and take the police test with me? And I said, really? You want to be a cop? And then I started thinking about, do I want to be a cop? And I said, that could be intriguing. And this, this guy says to me, you know, you can retire in 20 years. That's and not I'm, bad. I'm 20 years old hearing this, thinking right. 40 years yeah. old, 41 years old, I might retire. And here I am. 45 years later, <laughs> doing the same thing, and retirement was the one of the attractions yeah. initially. So um, I kind of grew into policing. You know, I, I was yeah. uh, I was literally talked into taking that test. My my friend unfortunately didn't do so well. <laughs> okay. I did very well. Okay, and, I, well, and what was the I, test? That like it, what it was a civil service uh, like test in Nassau written? County. Yeah, it was a written test well, we've initially. We've heard that a lot from from a lot of our guests that they've accompanied somebody somewhere, and that person dropped out, and yeah. they continued on that path. The universe is never says no. But you know, it's it's really strange because you and I both come from very kind of artistic backgrounds. So we, we both like nobody in my family had a four hundred one k or or a nine to five job for that matter. Everybody's in showbiz. Every you know, no one had to get up and put on a tie and go to the office. Um, and so I learned later in life, oh my gosh, there's this thing. There are these civil service jobs where you can work yeah, for well, twenty well, years although, and retire. Although you know what's funny is, is my my dad's my excuse me my mom's dad my grandfather on my mom's side who I never knew because he died when I was a baby. Uh, actually worked two jobs a day. He worked down on Wall Street and then worked as a post in the post office on Thirty uh, Fourth and Eighth Avenue. Um, and so he actually put in two eight-hour shifts a day. Yeah. Um, but like which, when I moved up to New Hampshire and someone said something about the graveyard shift, I I, I mean I I'm smart enough to figure out what it meant. But I I'd did never one graveyard shift at what used to be the old Hess station out here, which is now a different gas station uh, yeah. in Watermill. Where a friend talked me into that, and I showed. He said it's gonna be great. We're gonna 11 a.m. 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Right. And it was great until about two in the morning, and then we both fell asleep. And people were coming to just pump a free gas. And in the morning, when the when the owner came, he's like, "You each owe me like fifty bucks." <laughs> worst, <laughs> like that's the last time I did that. Worst job ever. Anyway, yeah, sorry, okay. we we went off so, on a tangent there. You're feel free to jump in. So, Your so, show. So you, take, so you take so you take you take the the test. You yeah. do well. Yeah, and, and then I kind of grew into the profession. So where'd you, know, you start? Like, what was your... I started in the second precinct in Nassau County. And back then, this is way back in the 70s, 
you started walking a foot post. You know, you weren't in the car. You were so a flat foot. I was a flat foot. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> you know, we, we had spoken on the phone last week, and you mentioned, you know, we were talk, talking a little bit about the changes in the culture and the changes in the, in the training and everything. That they, they hand you a revolver, they hand you a baton, and hopefully a comfortable <laughs> pair of shoes. <laughs> Not even shoes. Right? You had to buy yourself. But yeah, yeah you, you, we went to the academy for a few months. They handed us a six-shot revolver, a wooden nightstick, a blackjack in your back pocket, Jeez. a traffic summons book, um, and after four months of training, put you out on the street and said, go enforce the law, kid, and be careful. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> like, were you around during, um, I don't know, like the Dog Day Afternoon thing or, or Son of Sam or any of that stuff? Were I you? was, yeah. I was around during the Son of Sam. I was down, uh, when I started my career, it was around the time where there was uh, quite a bit of uprising with the Black Panther movement in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, police yeah. were threatened at that time, so it was a little bit um, unnerving to be I was gonna ask on you, the so, street so at so that you, time. You put on the uniform and you're walking around. Did you ever feel like you were a target? Um, at different times in my career, during different, different periods of social unrest, uh, where police do become targets, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And when they say go enforce the law, that seems like a pretty wide uh, spectrum. Were there expectations at the end of your shift that you came in and, and said, okay, well, here are the things I did? Or, or was success for you kind of like, well, my presence kind of kept everything calm? Well, you know, uh, of course, I'm kind of kidding when I said go enforce the law. There's, you know, we're trained on what to look for and what to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there is something that, that is important to understand that a police officer back then, as well as today, has such a wide berth of, of activities in front of him or her every day. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm still doing this, quite frankly, 45 years later. It's, it's never boring. It's so interesting. To me, it's one of the most interesting professions that you could involve yourself with. It's like the newspaper business. Exactly. And they're right. very similar. I've mm -hmm. said to myself many times, if I didn't, if I wasn't in law enforcement, I might be in journalism. And, and uh, there is a, a quite a large group that kind of does do that. I well, mean, you're, look at, you're, uh, living, you're living in the real times. You're dealing with the issues of the day one way or another. On my end, I'm dealing with law enforcement of the issues of the day and whatever's happening, journalists are reporting on it. So well, but what, what it is also for me, and I, I wonder if it is for you as well, is it's a similar structure every single week. There's you know stories that need to be written, there's a certain amount of pages to be filled, there's, there's certain events to be covered and everything, but they change. So I'm kind of working within the same structure, but the events themselves are different. Or the could stories say the same on, on law enforcement. It's public safety. So every day we're charged with keeping the public safe, but there's something different happening every day within that spectrum. So, you know, your, your, your objective is the same, right. but what happens during that day is different every day. And that also begs the question is everybody has different definitions of what safe is, and then, but then there's a... There's a kind of societal definition of what safe is and so for each officer there seems to be a, a wide berth of, of how to interpret that that for some people uh you know you you'd say i i need to feel that protection and for some people like no leave me alone i'm okay you know i right you and know and that that is that is a fact and it's an interesting concept and that concept actually transitions into some of the philosophies behind law enforcement today 
and I have to give Bill Bratton credit for a lot of this. He he's a great studier and and what's his name? Bill Bratton. Bratton. He was the police chief of New York City, Boston, New York City, L.A., and then back to Boston. And he's he lives out here in the Hamptons. Oh, does he really? Absolutely. Not that many broken windows out here. <laughs> well, you, you 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 took where I was going. Yeah, yeah. Broken window theories uh, is 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 a very realistic theory. It's applied today. But what I was really going to mention was another theory, at kind of in line with what you were saying, in in terms of what is the public looking for, and and how safe do you have to keep the public. So there is a, a study, and it's quite um, a valid study, that shows that in any population, a small percentage of the population is going to engage in criminal conduct. The rest of the population doesn't. So law enforcement, when I started back in the 70s, had a th- theory of being everywhere all the time. The, the term omnipresent was used. We want police to be omnipresent on every corner, and that's how you keep crime down. As time went on, as budgets decreased, as police salaries and benefits went up and it was difficult for the public to manage cops on every corner, police had to take a different look at that and really start to recognize and put into practice the theory that if only a handful of people are committing most of our crimes, do we really need to be everywhere all the time? Do we have Mm -hmm. to pay attention to everybody? Or can we get pretty good at identifying those people who have in the past engaged in that and who may in the future engage in that and put our energies there? And if we do that, we can leave the rest of people kind of on their own. And and, and they they get along just fine. It begs the question, though, and and, uh, it's a philosophical thing, and, and, and then... I certainly know in the last uh, 25 or 30 years, you know, you hear a lot profiling, profiling, profiling. So how do you balance that? Like if, if you if you have all this empirical information, if you understand kind of the ebb and flow of this, like you said, a small percentage of the population, it leads to uh, certain logic connections of, well, I'm going to I'm going to use my time and space and energy in the most efficient way possible. And then it butts up against this idea of like, well, then you're predetermining something or, or one is, you know. Yeah, and, and profiling, you know, profiling can have a negative connotation, but it can also have a positive connotation. So, Absolutely. So if you are profiling, and I'm not so sure I would, I would be afraid to use that term, mm-hmm. but if you're profiling correctly and with justification. What, what term might you use? Well, I, I think identification okay. of or, repeat offenders, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and 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 good solid knowledge, uh, which comes from history, comes right. from community involvement, and we'll uh, we should talk a little bit more about community involvement. Oh, I definitely want to do that, but we're going to take a break. I also just want to hear about you know, as I'm sure other people do. Some you know, you don't have to use name. The names have been changed to protect the innocent, but some like of the interesting things that occurred early on, and how you decided to continue in the service and rise up the ladder so yeah to speak. It, it, it must be a big difference to to be boots on the ground and then to kind of join the administration of something where all of a sudden you're having a different philosophical conversation you got to deal with everybody else's problems <laughs> she said <laughs> yeah, we can take a break <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to, uh, you don't have to respond yeah yeah, to that. yeah. Like, yeah we'll, we'll do all of that I when we come me. back you're gonna have a problem getting me to talk <laughs> Talk all day. <laughs> uh, we're we're uh, listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow. and we're talking with Southampton Town Police Chief Steve Skrinecki. We'll be right back after this.
We're back. Sunday's on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. Coming to you from the Bridgehampton Inn on WPPB 88.3 FM, Long Island's only NPR station. We have our guest, Police Chief Steve Skrinecki. We're talking about all kinds of interesting things during the during the break. And I'm like, save it for the radio. Save it for on air. You left off a little bit about being a patrolman. Um, but you've worn many hats in, in wearing the one big hat, right? <laughs> and so where did your career take you after that? Uh, I was really blessed to uh, to have an exciting and uh, diversified career with the Nassau Police. I, as it, as mentioned, I started as a footman, but I grew, um, and I grew into a detective position where I was investigating crimes. Some crimes were routine, um, some not. I mean, some memorable cases as a detective was a, and sad, but mm. very memorable to me, was a kidnap uh, of a gentleman who lived in Nassau County kidnapped and held for ransom in New York City. Um, it was a case we were investigating, and the case broke when we found, unfortunately, his body oh. in, in Manhattan. He had been murdered. Um, his family was not responding quickly enough to the demands for ransom. Um, his kidnappers mm. killed him, and there were seven people involved. And we, the Nassau County Detective Squad that I was working with, arrested all seven and went to trial in Manhattan. So that was that was a, an experience right, so, that so I, I'll, I'll couple, never forget. A couple, a couple of thoughts pop in my head, though. One is, I, I like just to pull back for a second. How does one become a detective? Uh, is it more? Is is it about? Um, your experience, or is it? Is it? Are there other tests? I have, and and what is the core difference if you're on patrol and you're a detective? Just it might be rudimentary, but I think that's interesting. Yeah, well, I, 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 what we look for in a detective, and what they looked for when I was made a detective, is an individual who seems to have a propensity to want to go beyond the, the immediate, who wants to carry the ball a little bit farther. So, you know, police officers are first on scene. They're going to manage a scene. They're going to get things set up. They're going to hold that scene. But the detective's going to come in and literally say, let's slow down. Let's take it a little easier. Let's get into what happened. Let's preserve evidence. Let's talk about what the motive was here. So it's like being the producer because you, you're kind of, and then you, you bring in like medical exam, like you're kind of in charge of like a general contractor. Yeah, uh, a detective has uh, literally like the leader of a band or an orchestra. Right. So you're, well, we, you're we sure have thrown a lot of different <laughs> ideas. Yeah, in there. No, no, no. And then, but then going back to this case, all right. So you're a detective on this case, and you, you know, uh, unfortunately, this person is murdered, and uh, you have the body. How did you find what? What led to the finding of the seven people? Well, there was some. There was some pieces, and 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 when I talk about investigations, and when I trained detectives I, I would I'm a visual person I would always look at an investigation as a rope in my hand I would literally tell detectives you begin an investigation you have a piece of rope in your hand and you're at the other end of that rope is a defendant the bad this, guy this is and, pre-internet and stuff too right oh yeah okay yeah. but this yeah. this is a theory this right. is just a, you know it's, you a, good, it's a good analogy this, it's yeah. a good analogy so you're pulling the rope in and at the other end is is the person you want but there are breaks in the rope as you're pulling it. So a detective needs to close those gaps, needs to find a way to get from one break to another until wow. you eventually get to the person behind the criminal activity. Right. Um, so I found that interesting. We look for people who kind of have that um, inherently in their personality. Do you like puzzles? Do you like do you do I do crossword <laughs> puzzles yeah. or whatever? Yeah. I like challenges. Yeah, because yeah, that yeah. sounds like it sounds like it sounds like 
it, it, the rope was always there, but you, you just couldn't see those pieces. And then it's, you, then you find that piece and go, that fits here and well, that fits here. That, that, I'm curious, did you have any like cops in your family or like what 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 are your parents? What was your am, growing up like? I grew up. Uh, my dad was in the insurance industry. My brother followed him. I'm the first guy in law enforcement, but I'm yeah. very proud to say my son. Uh, is a living legacy to me. Uh, he's a Nassau detective now, and he's oh, also an attorney. Um, and an attorney? Yes, yes, he is. Wow. I'm very proud of him. That's wonderful. And my daughter is in public service, working for a township. Well, that's that's a so. tribute to good parenting. Well, that's, oh, that also you. brings us to community involvement, which we were talking about just before the break, and community service. Um, yeah. I mean, it is a service position. Um, how did the community respond? I imagine in the 70s it was probably a bit different because... I don't know. I'm just thinking about all the like crime and drugs. But and you're thinking about it. In I'm thinking about like the deuce. But you're thinking about it also in terms of like the media. And you know, as somebody who has written in, in the media for a long time, and you cover things from a media point of view, you know, we create, we we fetishize, fetishize things, and we create narratives to tell a story. Well, I'm not thinking. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of it in terms of a writer because no, no, I also but, wrote no, fiction. But, but I think I think that that in a yeah. way. If I'm going to continue that rope analogy, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the rope doesn't have like a press agent, right? The rope is just the rope. And so right. uh, it, it, I would think that there's a little bit of a combating of the, the myth of what it's like and then what the practicality is and, and what the actual how, how one achieves their goals. There's plenty of myths, and, yeah, and you course. can tune into your television or, or go yeah. online and see countless and endless stories of police work. Yeah. Um, and there's probably a reason for that. I mean, I think the public is intrigued with policing. Um, yeah. there's, a, there's another reason, though, in television terms, why police shows and doctor shows have always kind of worked, and that is you have 42 minutes or you have an hour to keep people's attention, and there's this great cause and effect that takes you through it. So I do have to say, sorry, from from the media standpoint, I really don't like being tagged as media, but I'm more of a film. You know, I come from be the fake press. What no, would I wouldn't. But but I also I see it as a movie, not oh, as okay. what I was seeing was like Dog Day Afternoon, or you know, some people with aviator glasses and big ties and stuff like that was kind of where I was going. But um, I do have to say, and it's it's an interesting sociological experiment. But when we put up you know, on Facebook, because I, I do all the Facebook posts for, for The Independent, and we put everything online um, for free, by the way. But but when I do all the Facebook posts, and the posts that are most likely to be shared and commented on are the really bad news posts that have to do with well, somebody that's, getting that's arrested, yeah. you know, a puppy getting thrown out of a window. I mean, if I put up someone, like I put up a story, a, a girl in West Hampton Beach just got a perfect score on her ACTs. It is incredibly rare. That had like 12 likes and one share and one comment. I put up the story about the, the pedophile in Hampton Bays, but when I put it up online, within an hour it had been shared 45 times and it had like 141 comments. So it was people our are interested. <laughs> I remember yeah. that case well. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I don't want to, you know, put you on the spot with anything anything local because we're really more interested in your journey. All right, yeah, no, so, but, all right, so, but you. But people well, are I interested go back in bad to, news. I, so I want to go back to this. So, so you're able to connect the strands and find these seven people. And this was some time ago. And yet it still lives inside of you. Yeah, well, you know, that, that was a, um, you know, over 45-year career. There's a few things that just kind of just stay with you, um, which is something else that, 
people should be aware of. Policing, uh, you know, any police officer, myself or anybody that's out there today or who's been out there in the past lives with certain images that that are not you that can't easily. Unsee. You, know, you yeah. can't. You can't shed those things. So you find a way to cope with that. But we see right now, you know, we're going through some tough times. New York City has seen way too many police suicides. It's something that uh, where police chiefs across the nation are concerned about. And in your career, in the tenure of your, your career, has the mental health aspect internally, uh, I would imagine that, that it, it, there's a two-edged sword there because mm-hmm. you don't want the quote-unquote stigma of saying I need help. And yet, at the same time, I certainly know in my own life, when I've asked for help, it, I've felt such relief. One of so many great changes I have seen in my career is addressing mental health. And when I was a young cop, the attitude was suck it up, right. tough suck it, it up, up and, and, and carry on. Now yeah. we're realizing that uh, that's probably not the best philosophy, and we're much more compassionate, we're much more understanding, we're encouraging police officers to talk to one another just in my department right here, right now. We are literally in the process of, of starting a East End peer support group for police officers on the East End, and, and all of the villages and towns on the East End are contributing an officer to that that project with police chaplains and other resources, professionals uh, in the mental uh, health care industry that will be available to our police officers. Because we out here, no matter where you are, whether you're in New York City or whether you're out here in Montauk Point, it was just a very tragic yeah, situation in Montauk. And, uh, and, and, and officers are, are, are living with these you're, things. Right. Well, everybody's a person. And... It's, I would imagine with any trauma, it's like you have PTSD. PTSD is PTSD. I was just going to say that I think probably every police officer, especially if they see something really, you know, cruel or, or gruesome, immediately has P- PTSD. I mean, I would think all officers function with well, that well, in well, the same way that all perhaps, veterans function with it. Perhaps. Well, there's a clinical, you know, there's a clinical um, definition for for that. I don't know that we all get to that level, but right. certainly we we. We ha- we're part of the spectrum, at least, and we're on, That's you know, hopefully mean. we're on the low end, right. and we can yeah, d- digest dentists, it and manage dentists, it and carry dentists on. Dentists actually have right. the highest uh, percentage of suicide. In a dentists? Dentists, yeah. Really? Yeah. I just had my teeth cleaned yesterday. And I hope Laura's okay. Was, okay, there you go. No, no, I'm just saying, like, but you don't know what, what yeah. you know, what... What's going to affect different industry. people? I mean, because like, I, I listen to the radio and they say, I mean, warning, this might be a trigger for someone. And, and I'm like, this doesn't yeah. trigger me, but I get okay, it. Okay, so, uh, so, now, so now you're okay. detective. And, and when did you become chief? And how did you rise well, up to become chief in Nassau long, County? A long, a long and gradual ascent, um, if you will, that was tremendously enjoyed by me. <laughs> um, truly, Good to hear um, that. moving from uh, supervisor in the street in uniform, right, um, back and forth across the the line from uniform to detective. So I ran detective squads. I ran a narcotic squad. I ran an auto theft squad. I ran robbery squad. Um, moved on in my career to run a precinct. Um, moved on to a place that I never thought I would be. I was a commanding officer of internal affairs. For a while. Wow, that has to be very emotionally complicated. It uh, uh, was a place I tried to avoid right. most of my career, <laughs> you, and at one point found you, you myself. Prob- you probably didn't have office. a lot of people to go out and have a it beer was, with that. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, did you your, ever? Did your you friends ever start to sh- you shed a little bit? And this is my movie brain working. Like, did you ever have to, you know, sit on on the case of somebody who was close to you? 
well, not really close to me, but uh, all of the, uh, you know, that, that work is a very special work in policing. It's, it's not an easy assignment. It's no. an extremely necessary assignment, and most police officers recognize the need for that. Um, but it was it was interesting. Wow. Everything I've done has been incredibly interesting. Yeah, it sounds and fascinating. And, and 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 like again, my, where my brain goes is when you say you run a squad. I think that it, it, like at least how I envision it, you go from I have a task to we have a task, right. mm. and that that's a whole different conversation. Absolutely, and that's where your development of human skills and interpersonal skills come in play. And can you can you form a team, and can you get the team to work as a team cohesively? And within any team, whether it's my current police position now or back then, it, there's personality. Or, or right. your family, right? Yeah, or your family, <laughs> right? Exactly. Right. As a matter of fact, when I when I ran the um, internal affairs uh, in Nassau County, that was exactly the approach I took. I had a meeting. I remember this well with my uh, staff and I said we're going to run the internal affairs division of this police department similar to the way we run our families we're going to have respect for our the, our people even when they make mistakes we're not going to belittle them we're not going to ostracize them but we do need to you correct don't know, behavior you don't know my family <laughs> <laughs> but what, in the end what's the the end objective is to get the best out of your family members right and love and love is an interesting concept because yeah. love can take many forms yeah. but if in my mind acceptance and non-judgmental acceptance uh, from the person and the behavior is a big part of how I like to and that being said, there are times where, you know, you have such egregious conduct that you have to take very serious action and dismiss people. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have to keep the integrity of the department in place. And and I, I misspoke before. NASA uh, is in the top 15 of police uh, uh, departments, not the top five. How many? Uh, um, but it, 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 you know, probably changes from year to year, but it's always in the 13, 14, 15 range. And how many people did you have under your um, bailiwick? Well, <laughs> under at, your the, at the maximum. We had about, uh, while well, I was the chief, we had about 2,700 sworn and uh, another few hundred civilian staff, so a little over 3,000 people. And, and did you feel, uh, did you feel like when, when you're handling something, that's a huge organization, yeah. um, did you feel like you maintain a touch with it, or did you did you feel like you were being removed from certain things? Great question. Yeah. Uh, one of the th one of the challenges as as I moved through the positions when I got to be the the chief of the department was just just that how you, you put a message out, and and I did have a great advantage of having my son come into the police department. I would use an analogy mm -hmm. of I, I sit on the second floor in headquarters. If I open my window and scream out a directive to all the police in Nassau County, here's what I want you to do now. Uh, do you hear me? And then I would have Sunday dinner with my son, who's way at the bottom of that big organization, and I'd say, hey, did you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> did you get my message? Right, yeah. really this funny. is metaphorically, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did um, you ever like go on ride-alongs with yes. like new officers to just like Absolutely. still keep that part I, open I, in your heart? I, try, I tried then, and I try now to be very in touch with new cops. I, I want to know what's on the mind of new cops. I want to see, I want to know how new cops see us. I want to know right. what, you know, what they see as our, 
our, our positives and our negatives. Uh, and if you're, and I'm always looking for feedback constantly. Yeah. Well, so I'll go back to the movies. There was a French movie Francis Faber wrote and directed. I believe it was Francis Faber called uh, My New Partner. It was made in the '80s, uh, and then Hollywood has tried to remake it constantly, and they have, and some they it butchered like it. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. No, no. It's, but the, the basic idea is that there's a veteran uh, uh, policeman in Paris, and he knows the streets. So he's, quote unquote, benignly corrupt in that he'll have a cup of coffee and not pay for it. He'll do whatever. But he knows the streets and he knows the people. And he gets assigned a partner right out of the academy who's just by the book. And the whole movie is that conversation. The whole movie is the, the, the practical, time-tested policing versus the by the book, this is what I learned policing and and then their impact on each other didn't you rewrite that you rewrote that as a movie I, i've tried it i've written no, wait, a lot i mean I, I steal from everybody yeah i know you did but wait, wait. i just confessed this <laughs> <Wait a second. laughs> oh no you just <laughs> confessed your, he's gonna take you away in yeah. chainsock yeah, you know hollywood it, jail it is <laughs> aren't you in hollywood jail right oh, now with your ben I'm franklin thing when i when i moved <laughs> i'm on parole <laughs> well you know we're gonna take another little break with uh, we're talking with a uh, southampton town police chief steve skrinecki and uh you're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow. on WPPB. We'll be right back after this. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the beast. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop. That's the yes. sound of the beast. are back with Chief Steve Skrinecki. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. On WPPB. So um, where were we? What, what, what are we going to do for the last well, 20 minutes? Well, I'll tell you what. Like or in, less. The time, in the time we have left uh, on this visit, um, let, let's talk about what's going on out here. So, so how and when did you uh, become chief of police out here? Because no, what led him to that is what interests me too. Because you're you're running three thousand people, and you you really right. you know transition to. Um, a, a bit of a smaller job as Southampton Town Police Chief. So there's a bit of an interesting story behind that. Um, as I mentioned to you off air, I've had a house out here for 14 years, and I've always enjoyed the East End as an escape from everything we were kind of <laughs> right. just talking about. Um, and and I got to know a couple of the uh, officers out here who knew me and knew my work in in Nassau. Uh, and literally one day I was in my driveway, and a Southampton police vehicle pulled up into my driveway, just to say hello. And and uh, gentleman was driving a car said, "Hey, chief." Um, are you aware that our chief is retiring? And I said, no, I wasn't. And he said, well, you know, you should think about retiring from Nassau County and moving out here permanently. And, and we could use a guy like you. I can bet that that then became the only thing you were thinking about. <laughs> I, I really dismissed it initially. Oh, really? yeah. yeah, I said, no, I'm not really ready it's to a, do such that. such a different philosophy, though. I mean, just because of the sheer population difference, right? Yeah. And, and, and it, it wasn't. It really you. wasn't something in my long-term thinking that I would retire from Nassau and, and start a new police career. But that, that little encounter kind of grew with me, mm-hmm. um, my significant she kind of uh, said, you know, maybe that's not a bad idea, you know, maybe you're, it's the right time in your life to do something like that. Mm. So um, I put in a resume kind of just, you know, half-heartedly initially, um, and the town board called me out. They said, uh, you know, we'd like to come out and meet you, we'd like you to come out and we'd like to meet you and talk to you. Uh, came out, met the board. How many I, times in your life have you written a resume? Once. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> literally. It seem like you need to once, write a resume. Once. <laughs> Were you just like, oh, did you once look at this it? job? Were you like, holy crap, look right. how much I've done. Like, I have skills. To say, I uh, was a little impressed with my own resume. <laughs> Um, what, what, when was that? Like, what year was it? That was uh, 2017. Okay. Uh, actually, en- ending 2016, going yeah. into 17. Um, I met the board, and and they had a search committee, and I really applauded that. I was I was actually a little bit surprised, pleasantly surprised, to see that the town had that kind of thought that you know we'll bring in some experts. We're going to look for somebody uh, to run this town, and we should we should get some people who know what we should be looking for in right. addition to their own thoughts. And for people who don't know, like Southampton Town is, is like part of Sag Harbor. It's, it's Bridgehampton, yeah. and it's all the way to Eastport. People, um, and people Flanders, don't right? realize the size. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it is a huge township. Eastport to East Hampton, right? Uh, and it, 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 it is a large area, <laughs> very how, large. And area. how and large? Diverse area. How large? Just the force. Um, actually, um, if things go the way I'm hoping they're going to go <laughs> today, Santa. Uh, we will be uh, at 100 Swan. Okay, um, but that's next not, week. Not a lot of people for a very large area. It it is um, you know. Probably there's not a chief in the nation who wouldn't say, I wish I had more cops, right. Um, right. including me. Um, but we're getting the job done, and we're getting the job done well. And, and what's the, what, like, philosophically, though, is it, what's the change between having, like, 2,700 people and having 100 people? You know, people ask me that all the time. There's no difference, really, in the, in the concepts of policing, no matter where you are. Okay. Um, and frankly, this township um, has a lot of similarities to Nassau in the sense that it is diverse. There are people here in this township that are in, in you know, struggling, mm-hmm. that are, you know, having a hard time making ends meet. Um, there are people living in the woods here without homes. Yeah. Um, there are the most affluent people in our nation living here, and the same applies in Nassau County. So wide spectrum of people, wide spectrum of issues, wide spectrum of problems. And, and, and what are, like, uh, generally, like, what are the challenges the East End is looking at in 2020 from a policing point of view? Well, the challenge, this, this, mm. they're varied. You know, we, we live in a day where policing is not just crime-oriented. So we're, we're literally part of our homeland security. So we have to be mindful of potential terrorist attacks, even here on the East End, which was something that when I came here initially, some people out here, and you, you probably read about some, you know, there was some some rejection to the my thought that we need to you know, step it up a little bit in mm. terms of that philosophy, um, which we've done. Right. Um, then there's your normal crime stuff, and then there's the danger that we're all looking at around the nation now of active shooter stuff. And then but there's, there's, right. there's no. just the MVAs. I'd imagine that's like the most the most common thing out here. Yeah, no, and, you know, and, and, that, my, and my son had an incident at the Southampton uh, Jitney stop. He's 20 years old. He's a musician in Brooklyn. He has pink hair. He was coming out here without any luggage. Uh, about last month, and he was carrying an umbrella because it's raining, and somebody inside thought he was carrying a rifle and called 911. Are you kidding me? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And, and what actually happened was a, a, a group of police came. I remember the incident. Oh, yeah, yeah. Poor Eli. He must have been very scared. Well, you know, you know but, but what's interesting is, yes, all right, so for him this, is, this was a very unique situation, but he also, he's a pretty philosophical kid, yeah. and, and what, what has stayed with him is, is uh, certain things about the incident, but he also was like, well, I get it. You know, yeah, it's like, awesome. so I could see how like quick response 
to a potential problem is yeah. a huge aspect. Yeah, that one little episode there has so many pieces to it. That, yeah. that has the piece of see something, say something that we drive all the time. If you, and if you don't say something when you see something, what are the consequences? And how many times we've had we had bad situations where later somebody says, oh my God, if I only would have said something, I could have prevented that. So somebody said something there. Then you have the other side of that, your son who is innocently just carrying an umbrella and how is he dealt with by the responding officers? And I certainly hope we had a job to do there. We had to check that out. We had to verify that he doesn't have a gun and we did verify that. But it would be my hope that we did that in such a way that we didn't really upset your son. Um, You know, policing is a difficult thing to do and it gets more and more difficult yes. every yeah. decade. Of course. And and uh, I also imagine with like, you know, the videos that go viral and, and I mean, it's a divided country right now. We can say that. And, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of. I think that's true. But I also think and I'll speak for myself. I'm always happy to see the police when I am, too. But that's when, how I was no, raised. No, when when I'm in trouble. Yeah, but you probably don't want to see the police constantly if you're not. Uh, right. So, you yeah. know, that right there is the balance that we try to strike. You yeah. know, we, we try to be at the right place at the right time. We try to be there to protect you when you need protection. We don't want to be in your face when you don't. We yeah. want you to feel free to live your life and not feel like you're living in a police state. Right. So these are the things right. that most well, police chiefs right, are so very you, conscious of. You just of. said a, a buzz term for me because it feels what? like, well, I you know, post 9-11, there was there's there's been so you know the, the Department of Homeland Security gets uh, formed, and there's a lot more uh, equipment in all of the municipalities, and, and it could be a fear of mine or it could just be the conjecture. But how do you balance that from the policing side of the police state concept? You balance it by recognizing it and being aware that there are people in our public, in our communities, that that are uncomfortable with that. And I, I know that. I, I'm aware of that. Um, but I also know I need to have a certain amount of that to be ready in the event that something really horrific happens. Prepare. Right. So we've yeah. dialed in the best we can, and I've listened to the feedback in this community when we talk about our counter-terrorist activities uh, I, I want to have the things I need at some of these big events out here in case we have a problem. And mm-hmm. some of these events are really quite ripe. Oh, yeah. for, well, for the Hampton Bay's uh, the, bank. Uh, yeah, right. well, well, no, well, well the are, Hampton Classics, the U.S. Oh, no, Open. Oh, I, oh, no, I these meant, are big events. I these are the international events with the kind of... I meant of, the guy who threatened to blow up the bank, you know I mean? Yeah. So how can people, people listening, mm-hmm. uh, how can they participate in this conversation, even if it's not directly, how could like what what if there's a thing you could uh, you know put out to, to whoever's listening? How do you participate in that kind of conversation? Couple of things. Couple of things. First, recognize the need for us to be there. You know, some people have struggle with with even understanding why do, why do we have to have that? Why do we have to have that? And and there and I'm always trying to overcome and I think we're finally getting there this concept of well we're out here on the east end nothing ever like that ever happens here yeah. well look around the country all of the so many 90% of these events that are occurring the community in which it happened would say the same thing the day before that nothing like that happens right. in, in, in a, right. you name the place. Right. It's, you, it, you always it, get that cliche of, oh, he was a nice person. He kept himself and pet his dog. Right. So, so recognize yeah. that, that I, as a police chief who is charged with trying to protect everybody, I have to acknowledge that. So we need to be 
present. We need to be able to respond and take care of that. We also want to have a little bit of a dissuading ability. So some of that we want to show a little bit so people who may think about doing harm look at that and say, whoa, Maybe I'm not going to well, do we're, this. We're, but we're still talking. About, I'm sorry to mean to interrupt, but we're talking about something, you know, kind of still conceptual. And I'm really glad you guys are on the case with that. But I would imagine that, like I was saying before, that most that most of the stuff you have to deal with is still people texting while driving, drunk driving. And I mean, do you have programs that dissuade people from that as well? We do. Uh, you know, we're very involved in community meetings. We go to the, uh, the community um, meetings throughout the township. I, I make many of them myself. I try to make as many as I can. I listen to the community issues. And the community issues, interestingly and similar to Nassau, differ from one community to the other. So we're in Bridgehampton right now. If you mm-hmm. go to a Bridgehampton community meeting, you're going to hear a very different conversation than you are if you go to Flanders mm-hmm. or Riverside. Right. Um, and that's, again, part of the challenge. My, my policing out here and a cop out here is faced with varying different problems. Well, I, mean, I, get, I love getting like the, like it made me so happy this week to see like Susan Ralph always sends out those things. And I loved seeing like shop with holiday shop with a cop, which is really like an opportunity to teach younger people to not necessarily fear a police big, officer big and they go shop with a little kid you and you know, know what's so funny like i can remember being like five or six and whatever school i was in ps 166 on 89th street we went to the the precinct mm-hmm. i think it was on like 95th or something or maybe 83rd or something but we went there we walked there and to me, that was like the highlight of my year, you know, yeah. like this, it was like it, get to meet the people in uniform. Well, you know, it goes back to programming on TV. Police, people have a general interest in policing. Kids have a general interest in that. Yeah. We do national night out. We bring out all of our um, all of our products, all of our programs. We display some of our equipment. The kids come down. Um, and, where, and where do you do this? We had it in the park right next to the uh, police department in Hampton Bays. But the uh, the kids love that. It's a huge part of policing is to have a positive, to try and show the positive side of policing. Yeah. P- cops, cops are incredible people. I mean, I, I could tell you stories both here and in Nassau where cops will go out of their way personally to lend a hand to somebody to, you know, to... I, I, one that comes to my mind is we're in a, in a home where people have no air conditioning and it's sweltering and, and a cop goes to PC Richards and buys an air conditioner and puts an air conditioner in somebody's house yeah. on his own. No, right. no, nothing coming back from that. That's the kind of people cops tend to be. Cops, good cops and cops that last a long time love serving. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that every time I speak. I serve you and I'm happy to say I serve you. And I'm proud of it. Right. And, and you know what's very unique and should never be uh, underappreciated is the, the idea of any first responder running towards a problem when many people, the instinct is to run away from a problem. My husband was a first responder for 10 years and mm. uh, saw some really horrible stuff. Um, okay, so you mentioned anyway. so uh, you mentioned TV shows, right? So Starsky or Hutch, like <laughs> where, where do you come down? I'm not, a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan of police television <laughs> no. shows, mostly because they, they, they give the false impression that everything can be taken care of in an hour. Right. 42 uh, minutes. And, and, and everything is, looks easy, right? right? Or it looks, it's just 
too much violence. And believe me, there, there is no cop out there that wants to have a violent day. We, we, we like to have a peaceful day yeah. as much as we can. Uh, and unfortunately, we can't always solve every crime within right. an hour. But, uh, but to, so keep, to, can, to keep you watching, there has to be that threat. Yeah, yeah. That's but it, it creates it. a little bit of a distorted view and sometimes a distorted and so, expectation. And, 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 so, and so how do you relax? Okay, because it sounds yeah. like there's a lot of stress in you your still life. surf? I try. <laughs> uh, I still ski. Uh, I nice. find at my age now surfing is getting a little challenging, but I, I boat it's out here. I fish out It's a lot easier to catch a here. mountain than to catch a wave. That's for sure. <laughs> absolutely. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah absolutely. And I golf. I mean, uh, everything about this area is relaxing to me. And yeah. for me to be working in this environment that I used to come to to escape is, uh, I'm blessed. I mean, I'm, I'm truly blessed. I'm blessed to be working. I'm blessed to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all are. Have you ever been shot? No. Have you ever been shot at? I've never been shot or shot at. Neither have I. Have <laughs> well, you, that's Sock? A good thing. No, no, no. I'm, in fact, one of the things growing up in New York City and living a lot of my life in Los Angeles, uh, I, I don't think, I think I've held a gun twice or three times in my life. It just wasn't part of the culture I came up right, in. Right, me so, too. And I never felt afraid. I never felt well, I needed to. I'm and constantly so. afraid, actually. I'm like Are a little well, a rabbit. Well, well, not anymore, but I, I always lived my life like a... More of like vampires. No, but we're all driven. Alert. Is alert alert is than being afraid. Yes. Yeah, no, alert but and, and, and fearful thinking drives a lot of all human behavior. Yes. So. But I think it's also the background of being half Jewish and half Italian. Like, my people run. You know, they're on the run from pogroms and the mafia. So, like, you have to, like, look around all the time. Okay. All right. You, you, get so that? you, you got a little edge. <laughs> You know, my edge is softening. What about you? I mean, you've gone from having to be on high alert all the time to maybe starting no, to look I am at. Not, I'm not on any less alert here. Right. Not yeah. one bit. That, I, that's a misnomer. Yeah. That peop, and people say that to me all the time. Oh, you must. It must be a piece of cake. It must be so easy for you. It's it's different challenges. Yeah. Very different challenges. All right. But here, so here's a question I actually do have, though, is that in, in your career and in all the experiences you've had, uh how, what is your uh, where do you come down on, on, on humanity where do you come down on human behavior where do you come down on people like uh, do, how, do you feel more optimistic from having had your experience or do you feel uh, that it's sometimes harder to to appreciate the better side of human nature I majored in behavioral science and I find to this day human beings to be the most interesting things on the planet. And, and I mean, I, I, I applaud scientists who are so into science and, 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 and different developings, but I find a human being and what makes a human being tick and behave, it just endlessly fascinating. So yeah. my, my work just gives me a front row seat. And there's an expression, being a cop is a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Mm. And it's true. It yeah. is, yeah. Well, that sounds like a really good place to end. Fantastic. I can't thank you enough. Yeah, it's please been a come back. I mean, like, I think we're just scratching the surface, and and there's so much more that I certainly want to talk about uh, and, and share if if you would share because that's this is an amazing conversation. Um, I, might be a cliche, but thank you for your service. Yes, uh, thank you so thank, much. Thank, I appreciate and that. Thank, and thank everybody that, that puts on a uniform as a first responder, because I certainly have lived a life enjoying the benefits of that without even knowing it. So. 
Well, if you would let me um, close by just praising the people, the men and women of this police department who I'm currently working with. They are spectacular, incredible human beings who truly put their life on the line every day for the people in this community. And we should all appreciate that, including I do, and I hope everybody does. Well, it's a it's a good time for appreciation for everything, and uh, I want to appreciate our wonderful producer, Kyle Lynch, who shows up and is completely silent and <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> takes pictures for us. Yeah, and, and really, really great, great last words. And, uh, you know, everybody enjoy uh, the holiday season, and, and please don't drink and drive, please, because I might be on the road, and I, don't, I really don't want to have to deal with that. <laughs> please protect Alex Sokolow. <laughs> yeah, no, everybody, uh, just have a great week, great holiday. Hug your family and feel blessed. Be well and stay well. Mm-hmm.